Hello and welcome to the Supply Chain Podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in today. Don't forget to come back every Friday for new episodes featuring leaders in the supply chain. On this week's episode, I'm joined by Nishita Henry, Chief Innovation Officer, and Adam Musumeli, Principal of Supply Chain and Network Operations at Deloitte. Today, we will be discussing how to make supply chains more responsive to customer demand and how organizations can leverage technology in order to be more resilient and productive. So could you both please just introduce yourself and your job roles, as well as any careers prior that landed you as Chief Innovation Officer and Principal of Supply Chain and Network Operations at Deloitte. So Nishita, take it away. Perfect. Thank you, Emily. It's a pleasure to be on. I'm Nishita Henry, our Chief Innovation Officer here at Deloitte Consulting. And in that role, I'm really responsible for helping us develop new solutions and offerings to create new markets um, and expand our current markets. And so that really means transforming us from an organization that's been primarily professional services to one that offers IP solutions and a combination of services to, you know, to create the outcomes our clients are looking for. And my career has always been in technology. Um, I'm an engineer by education, and I've always been involved in the spaces of advise, implementing, or operating large-scale technology systems for kind of Fortune 100 and, and large government organizations, CIOs, um, whether that's been around modernizing legacy systems or implementing net new technologies for our clients to get into their own new businesses. And I'm Adam Massimelli. I'm responsible for our U.S. supply chain practice, which is a bit over a thousand consultants who wake up every day thinking about how to give our clients better opportunities in the space. Our practice covers everything from product development to plant source make deliver. I, I call myself the accidental consultant. I, I started my career in operational positions, uh, first in oil, gas, and chemicals, and then auto before joining Deloitte back in 1997. Uh, since which I've spent a career working end-to-end across the supply chain, several different additional industries, advising chief supply chain officers, COOs, some CFOs on how to improve the efficiency and effectiveness of their operations. Perfect. Thank you both for that. Um, and a question I always like to ask is kind of what got you interested in the supply chain and also now what keeps you on your toes about it? So Adam, if you want to answer that first. Yeah. Um, so as a kid, uh, I always had an interest in how things were made. I, I remember being very young, sitting in our, our family car, looking at the combination of steel, plastic, leather, and wondering how the heck it got to our house in, in central Pennsylvania. And it, it seemed like a big mystery I, I just wanted to solve. And in some ways, I think of, of my career in supply chain as that of a detective figuring out how you know, everything from cereal to automobiles to biopharma products have gotten to uh, consumers somewhere out there in the marketplace. Um, the other thing I'd, I'd mention is I just love working with teams to solve puzzles. And uh, I often think of the supply chain as just a, a problem that is, you know, needs to be continuously optimized over several variables, time, material properties, elemental conditions, space. Uh, and, and I just enjoy solving that. 
Yeah, I'd say I'm very similar to Adam. As a kid, I loved tackling hard problems. Um, no challenge was big enough. I had to figure out how it worked, right? Get to the root cause, get to understanding what's underneath all of the shiny veneer. <laughs> um, and so that was always you know, very interesting to me, hence why I decided to study engineering myself. Um, and uh, as an adult, I actually am a real puzzler. I love my thousand piece, 2000 piece, 3000 piece puzzles. So just like Adam, um, I love a hard problem and, and understanding how things fit in just the right way. But most importantly, and the reason I actually started my career serving the government market space is I was really focused on the mission and the outcomes and solving problems for us as citizens. And I think, you know, as, as a supply chain um, more of a novice than Adam is, as my career spanned a lot more than supply chain, and Adam is our true expert. Um, I'm always about, you know, how are we helping the, the end consumer at home? How are we making their lives easier? How are we making it easier for them to get the goods and services they need? Amazing. And I love that. Thank you both. I think um, it's always an interesting question to ask because supply chain is something that people often either fall into because they find out about it after education or it's something they've always wondered about since they were young. So I think that's really exciting. Um, I'm interested to jump into looking at emerging technologies here. Um, so I'm wondering if Nishita, you could touch on exactly what emerging technologies are being leveraged at Deloitte and also any across the supply chain. Yeah, great question, Emily. You know, we, we talk about technologies in terms of horizons, right? What are the enablers that we're using today in horizon one? What are the disruptors coming up in the, in the near future on horizon two? And what's coming out next? And what do we need to be prepared for in horizon three? And I'd say, you know, right now, organizations are obviously embracing the cloud. If nothing, the pandemic has taught us that if it's not in the cloud, we can't work on it <laughs> from, from remote places. Um, data and analytics has been a huge push for decades, right? People understand the need for data and analytics. And the digital experience has been something more recent in the last decade around how do people interact with technology. I think moving forward, it's really gonna change from cloud to distributed platforms, right? We're talking about the cloud working with the edge. We're talking about sensors and IOT technology on every one of our machineries to make sure that data and information can be, can be used and collected real time, but also analyzed in the cloud for long-term transparency um, and process improvement. And from data, we're moving from data to true insights, right? We got tons of data. Everybody's got lots of data, so much data, they don't know what to do with it, right? But they need to really understand what data do I need to have the insights to create and make decisions that are important to my business. And so that's important along with true artificial intelligence, right? Automation has been a thing for a long time. We're getting way more advanced in automation, but automation is about tasks, right? AI is about decisions. And so it's really using that artificial intelligence to help us make better decisions, help us collect and synthesize information in a way and at a speed that allows us to have the machine and the human truly working together, as we call it, the age of wit. And then lastly, from digital experience, we, we see ourselves moving to kind of digital reality, right? How do we use that digital reality techniques to improve training, to help our people simulate multiple environments that they could be in and be ready for them and be more prepared so we improve our safety outcomes, we improve quality. Um, and, it, you know, I think that is not just a a feature and a technology that'll be used by our gamers at home, right? Because it's fun, but really by enterprise clients who are, are looking to engage their employees better and improve outcomes overall. And I think that's a really in interesting point. I'm wondering if Adam can kind of talk, talk about this, about the benefits and the key values of implementing technology, um, especially to teams now working remotely um, due to COVID. Yeah, so Emily, I think 
I think first, uh, it's important to think about what's happening to supply chains in general, even before COVID hit. Uh, and the nature of the phrase supply chain itself is, is somewhat old school, actually. Um, what we really see, and, and has been happening over several years now, is a transition from a linear supply chain where one node hands off to another, to this notion of being able to manage across an entire network. So instead of inbound materials and thinking about them going to one factory, creating something and then outflow through logistics. It's more of what's happening across all my factories right now. And uh, how can I optimize that? And what's happening across my entire distribution channels? And you know, how can I optimize that? Um, we call that shift, uh, by the way, a shift to digital supply networks. And in that context, and as I think about a lot of the technical change Nishida just shared, the evolution, um, there's a familiar pattern playing out across supply chains that, that COVID has exacerbated, which is first we try to get to visibility. So what's happening, right? The oldest supply chain use case uh, on the planet has been, where's my stuff? And that's still an important use case in supply chain. And then from there, getting analytical. Now that I can see what's happening, you know, how can I do what I do better and ultimately getting predictive? So there's a three-stage journey everybody's been going on. Um, interestingly enough, uh, COVID, uh, the, the benefits of, of progressing through that journey and the technology, those, those are the same as they were pre-COVID. What has happened is before it was a financial payback business case that would launch some of the journey. Now it's that plus, because of the remote work that you mentioned, it's an operational necessity, right? And so, you know, we've seen instances where, for example, you know, planning organizations that historically have worked in these very large Excel-based planning notebooks that they send to each other over email and they're constantly spending time syncing up data, can't do that anymore, particularly remotely, super hard, right? So the notion of being able to plan in a cloud, everybody using that same platform, uh, looking at the same data, understanding how one plan impacts another in an operation after that has become really important and driven a lot of uh, efficiency and effectiveness benefits. Uh, another great example would be the integration across engineering and manufacturing, uh, maintenance, traditionally silos, traditionally engineers design, uh, manufacturing produces, maintenance allows manufacturing to keep producing, but never would the three necessarily meet and understand what the other was doing and the implications. Again, the technologies that uh, Nishida mentioned have allowed us to bring those together in one collaborative platform and speed up dramatically the cycle time of design as well as improve the uh, efficiency of production. That's amazing. Thank you. And I'm glad you touched on data there because that is a really um, important topic and something that does really go hand in hand with technology innovation. So I'm wondering um, next, maybe Nishita, if you could follow on from talking about COVID and we can think about um, in terms of customer demand, how exactly has this shifted um, over the past year? Um, customer demand, you know, it's one of these questions that I'm always um, baffled by sometimes because demand by customers is so rapidly changing <laughs> and um, you know what worked one day isn't going to work the next day and I think the key is always keeping up and understanding that right it, it, from it from any anybody's viewpoint whether you are um, a, a manufacturer or whether you are the distributor or whether you are the retailer 
Um, in fact, you know, I think our supply chain professionals would say they had the most disruption given COVID. 97% in fact responded in a recent survey that they were caught off guard by the severity of the pandemic and the speed at which it unfolded, right? Which means that the their ability to agilely respond, their ability to flex their supply chain, their ability to manage in-person and virtual, right? Just they hadn't thought of it before. Right. Um, and understanding that they know that now they have to plan major shifts in the way they approach supply chain management, because while this is maybe a once in a hundred year event, hopefully from a pandemic perspective, um, there will be many, many things that continue to disrupt new technologies will come online, you know, geopolitical shifts. Um, changes in environmental um, regulation and our and our approach to sustainability, all of those things are going to impact our supply chain in a way that we have to be prepared, which means that we have to have technologies that allow us to be more agile and consumers demand will never change from expecting their product when they want it, where they want it and how they want it. Right. And so I think it's important for supply chain professionals and manufacturers to understand that if those demands are going to continue to stay high and continue to increase, everyone expects you to be Amazon these days, right? I order it, you don't even have to order it. I think about it and it's gonna show up at my doorstep. <laughs> and so that's how people have to respond. And that means you have to have better insights on what your consumers want. You have to be closer to your consumers and you have to have supply chains that can agilely change what you're manufacturing, how you're manufacturing and where you're manufacturing it. And so, you know, I talked about some of those technologies before and Adam elaborated on their use. I think some others that are gonna help us and are gonna help our clients in this are 5G. Right, which is really going to increase our ability to share data and get data in real time because of the bandwidth we'll be able to now have on the production floors. And the ability to actually exchange data between machines and do that in real time. The other is computer vision, right? If our computers can see and our computers can actually make determinations on where things should go, how they should be routed, where and how you're seeing quality defects, we'll get a lot more real-time insight into how to make those changes. And humans can do the jobs they're the best at, right? Which is actually solving hard human problems of meeting customer demand, while our, our technology and our machines do the rote work of making sure that we can do it on time. And following from this, do you believe that companies have not only survived, but thrived from the pandemic? And if so, how, how did they manage to do this? Yeah, I think there's been um, definitely a, um, a curve on where you've been around this pandemic. I think that there are companies that have absolutely thrived because they have understood the need for change. They have quickly um, you know, changed where they're manufacturing something, quickly deployed different workforces, quickly in, in enhanced and embraced technology. I think there's others that, um, you know, weren't as quick to do it and had a harder time, right? Um, given the fact that we had our challenges of social distancing and requirements and we need to keep our people safe and our teams safe, those who couldn't find ways to use things like drones or use things like more advanced recognition as opposed to using um, humans to do it had a harder time adapting. Right. Um, I also think we need to be really cognizant of the fact that just because you have technologies um, doesn't mean you should always use them, <laughs> meaning you need to be really understanding of the ethics of using the tech and the implications on us as humans. Right. And I think companies who understood that did a whole lot better 
companies who you know just tried to slam in tech and tried to make humans operate like tech did a whole lot worse, right? And we saw that in um, the demands on their workforce, um, in the rates of COVIDs in their workforce. Uh, and so I think it's incredibly important that we talk about tech, ethics, and humans together as one in order to thrive. I, I think there is a, a very important um, shift in the thinking along supply chain professionals in line with what Nishida is saying. Um, for as long as, as I've been doing this, which is about 30 years, uh, supply chain professionals have largely thought about, you know, what's the efficiency of an operation? What's the effectiveness of an operation? And while we conceptually talked about risk, right, we have to worry about risk, that wasn't necessarily in the everyday thinking of a supply chain professional. And, you know, we, we always kind of got caught by surprise when things didn't work out as planned. Um, I think now what I'm hearing as I talk to CSEOs and other uh, senior executives in the supply chain is a thought process that goes something like, you know, when we started our careers, um, soon thereafter, the internet came along and that changed the way we thought about operations and what we could do to Nishida's comments. You know, then uh, over the past 20 years, there's been a series of natural disasters, hurricanes, flooding earthquakes that have disrupted supply chains up to the point where now we've had a pandemic. And if you, you time it out, roughly every four years, something happens across the planet that is entirely disruptive to the way operations are working. And uh, the thinking now is, you know, we don't know what it's going to be necessarily, but probably over the next four years, something is going to happen. And we need to start thinking about our operations in that context, which goes back to the notion of how do we continue to increase our flexibility? How do we continue to be agile? How do we set up our supply chains in such a way that we can, where needed, absorb that risk and continue to serve our customers? That's, that's new thinking that is now kind of part of the fabric of supply chain professionals. Yeah, and that's really interesting is kind of touching on um, how now this is everyday thinking. And I kind of want to ask, um, how has this affected teams within the supply chain? And maybe you can talk about this from a personal standpoint and um, kind of how Deloitte handled um, working remotely. How exactly has this pandemic affected how you work as leaders as well? A lot of collaboration tools, right? And, uh, and, and a notion that um, we can bring our best skill sets regardless of where they are on the practice, easily to a challenge to go ahead and, and move through that challenge and realize the opportunity associated with it, right? So, you know, forever in a day, uh, classically the thought process was in, in any supply chain or uh, uh, operation, you had to be there and see it. In fact, there's, uh, you know, supply chain uh, practices, gimbal walks where the whole point is, you go out and you see it for yourself. And that's still important. Understanding an operation and being in the context of it will always be uh, important. But what we've realized now is when that's not possible or after you do that, you can augment it through all the multiple technologies that we've talked about over this uh, podcast has been extremely helpful and has absolutely changed the way we're working. Uh, a, a lot of places, talent is constrained, uh, especially engineering talent, by the way. So the ability to take perhaps those two or three engineers that really understand a core operation and instead of flying them around the planet, because we haven't been able to do that, but bring their expertise to the point where it's needed has been a bit of a game changer for us over the past year. 
Yeah, and I'll add to that, Adam. I t totally agree. Our ability to use talent in distributed places has actually um, accelerated. Um, we've also accelerated our ability to use collaboration and technology tools, right? I mean, we all live on Zoom these days, um, but also our use of Teams, our use of um, you know, Mural, our use of all kinds of technologies that actually help us do more than just communicate, right? And so we can't be in, in person and whiteboard anymore. How do you do that? on your computer. And it's amazing how much technology can advance that while also increasing productivity, right? I don't have to do my commute anymore. I don't have to worry about getting from meeting to meeting anymore. Um, and so you can really be very productive. Now I will say there's of course downsides to that, right? And I am aching to get back to some forms of actual in-person human interaction. And I think our key is understanding what are the moments that matter to have in-person communication and what are things that can be done virtually. And I think we're going to see far more um, you know, acceptance of the virtual work. I think we're going to see far more use of that because I think it also enables us to tap into a greater number of employees, especially in different stages of their lives. Ones who might not be able to travel, ones that may have um, you know, different challenges, et cetera. The other thing that it's also enabled us to do is realize how much better we can use workforces outside our own organizations. Right, So the gig workforce, the contingent workforce, we are far better at actually incorporating them now because everybody's, the, the, levy, the playing field is level. Everybody is working from wherever they're working from and their computer. So it doesn't matter where you are. And so our ability to tap into that, use an effective gig network, use an effective contingent workforce, use our own workforce and have a, a multimodal um, talent model is incredibly uh, been accelerated. And I think that'll be important for all of our clients as well. Amazing. Yeah. And I think it's funny you touch on that. Um, I actually had the chance to go into the office yesterday because uh, in the UK, um, our offices are opening back up and it was such a strange experience, but I think I was a bit more unproductive than I am normally at home. So um, maybe maybe working remotely is actually quite productive. Maybe that was just me being distracted by social interaction for once. But um, looking into the future then, um, Adam, I'm wondering if you can kind of touch on the adoption of these technologies that we've spoken about today and kind of um, what key innovations can we expect to be adopted industry-wide and that perhaps should always be adopted? Yeah, so I think where this is going in a supply chain context and we're seeing some industries making moves now and certainly uh, multiple customers across industries making moves is to this notion of a digital thread, right? So end-to-end -end connectivity, uh, certainly across the supply chain organization, but beyond that, out to ecosystem partners, trading partners, as well as the connected customer. So you can create this virtuous loop of understanding how a product's being used, what the demand for that product may be, where the demand for that product may be, as well as an associated service, and quickly throw that flow that back through the entire uh, supply chain and inclusive of anybody else you might need that's a partner in the supply chain. In order to make that happen, um, you know, we, we need to get twins of everything. So there's a twin of a product so we can understand how that product may be used. There's a twin of an asset so we understand how that asset behaves. There's also a twin of a process so we can understand how a product uh, and people working on that product to perhaps manufacture it or move it, work together through a particular part of the supply chain. Uh, that's happening as well. Um, we're, we're seeing right now a lot of companies start to talk about 
model-based manufacturing and what that means for the supply chain, which is another way of talking about the digital thread and digital twins associated with it. Uh, model-based is historically more of an engineering or a heavily engineered product notion, but it's moving out everywhere because even process industries uh, understand that they can, they can model these things out and understand how they'll behave before we even create them. Yeah, and those models, you know, um, and being able to design those and use technology like digital reality to do that um, is incredibly um, helpful and important that will speed up process product engineering. It'll speed up our ability to um, improve that product. It'll speed up our ability to get that on the production line um, and into consumers' hands. So I think it's a great, um, you know, convergence of what's needed and the technology to enable it. And, and just, uh, just a, a metric for you, uh, what we're seeing is as these technologies are adopted and practices associated with them are adopted, um, design cycle times are being cut in half. And that is a massive, uh, massive play for any company. And talk about consumer demand, right? Dem consumers are always demanding a newer, better, <laughs> and the faster you can get it out there, the better you are against your competition. Yeah, and it's all really exciting, isn't it? Um, all these new technologies um, kind of boosting productivity and efficiency. But I'm curious to touch on what actually are some of the challenges here um, that um, your clients are facing as they move from a legacy kind of environment to this next-gen technology um, environment. So I'm wondering, Adam, if you can lead that and touch on that slightly. Yeah, I, I think a lot of the challenge is people and operating model-based. Um, because right now we're set up for largely how the world used to be versus how the world is going to be. Uh, example, um, as we think about people that historically make their careers in the supply chain, uh, you'll have folks like me, uh, you know, came out of some sort of operations degree or engineering degree or something like that, and then worked their way through one particular node of the supply chain. What we historically have not had are true data scientists or advanced analytics statistician folks, right? Or people that do design for applications. And increasingly, we're finding that we need those folks within a supply chain context uh, and in, in companies within supply chain functions. And um, there's, you know, if we, if we step back for a second, there's always been in any manufacturing organization um, two technology organizations. One is IT, which we all know that reports up to the CIO. One is OT, which historically reports up to the head of manufacturing. How do we bring those together? What's the bridge? And what skills do you need where? And is there, in line with my earlier comments, perhaps a new organization that blends the both that can serve the supply chain plus the broader enterprise? That's really what people are trying to work through right now so they could get the, the best leverage out of their talent. And to Nishida's earlier comments, as needed, augment uh, with talent that are, you know, typically outside the organization. Yeah, and I'll add on to that, you know, from a legacy environment, I, I think the organizational structure comments that Adam make are so important, but they're also so ingrained, right? We're all very used to, this is how it works, this is our org, and this is what we do. So the change management around getting people to think differently um, is going to be incredibly important. And we're going to have to break down some orthodoxies and barriers. Well, we've always had OT and IT, right? Well, they need to blend, right? Also, the other piece is the... Um, 
talent within the organization. How ready are your employees to embrace new tech? How informed are they? How aware are they? How educated are they on using it and enabling their own jobs? Is there fear because they think it's replacing them? Is there acceptance because they're like, it's going to help me make my, do my job better? So there is a lot of that in the legacy environments, as well as just legacy tech, right? There's been incredible amounts of investment in legacy tech for all the right reasons, right? And sometimes we are, we are, apt to hold on to that because of that investment, as opposed to saying it's a sunk cost. We've got to go to the next world and we've got to adapt new technologies because we need to be forward compatible, right? As opposed to the whole term of backward compatible, we have to be forward compatible in terms of what does our market expect? What are our competitors doing? How are we going to stay ahead? And continuing to anchor ourselves on the past will prevent us from doing that. So, you know, it's a human nature and it's something we're all going to have to continue to work on in order to, to achieve the future we, we talk about. Amazing. Yeah. And um, thank you both for them. Amazing answers. I mean, kind of wrapping up the podcast now, I'm wondering if you both just had anything else you'd like to say um, to our audience regarding the supply chain or just anything, um, any final notes? I, I would just say, Emily, uh, let's embrace the future. Um, I think what's happening now is exciting. It's opening up more career paths for more people than ever before to do things that are hugely enjoyable. Uh, Nishida mentioned it. Let's uh, let people do what they're really good at solving these complex problems, as well as storytelling and being able to share with other people that are making decisions what's really happening versus some of the things that we had to do before um, machines could could help us with those. So this is going to be a new series of professions that is quite enjoyable, I think, for a lot of people, uh, a new level of operation. I, I often share with my teams, I'm a little bit jealous because at, at this stage of my career, um, I'm only going to be on the, the beginning of this, the precipice of this, and they're going to get to see this through over the next couple of years. And, you know, I'll be I'll be on a beach or, or something like that. Uh, so I, 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 if I had it to do over again, maybe I'd, I'd start now because I think the future is going to be uh, quite bright and interesting for everyone. Yeah, I'm so excited about the future. And what I'd say is, look, the future is inevitable. So let's start. Let's start now. Um, you know, don't. Instead of instead of trying to resist, try to try to lean in, right? And how do you do that? Experiment. Do small things. It, change doesn't have to be one big swoop. It happens over time. So be bold. Experiment. Be okay with failure because when we experiment, things aren't going to work out. But you know what's going to happen? We will learn, right? We will do it together. We will create stronger bonds. So I think that's incredibly important. And also, as you think about your investments, as much as you invest in tech, invest in your people right? Invest in their training, in their development, in their movement to the next new. It will pay off in spades. So make sure as we're thinking about the future and you're thinking about the investments you're making, invest because you're creating the future, not because you're reacting to it um, and be the leaders we need in supply chain. I look forward to working with everyone to do that. Perfect. Thank you both. Yeah, I think that's a really great and positive note to end on. I'd like to thank you both for your passion and your insights today. It really comes through the screen. So um, thank you so much for coming on the Supply Chain Podcast. And I always like to use this platform to say, you know, this is an opportunity for anybody who's interested in the supply chain to get involved because it's a really exciting industry. And um, yeah, keep this conversation going on LinkedIn as always. So thank you both.